Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. Here's a fun one for you. A few months ago, the Yoho Journals got in touch and asked me if I wanted to contribute a piece to their series. The Yoho Journals were started by Alicia Willis and Paul Milbank with the stated aim to bring pirate theology to the masses. The journals are scholarly, but not academic, and they're written with quite a twinkle in the eye. We featured one of the Yoho journals in a previous episode. Go listen to David Benjamin Blower talking about higher anarchy for a taste of what it's like. I was really glad to write one myself, and I entitled mine Black Magic in White Houses. To help launch this journal article, we also had a Zoomposium where we invited Richard Beck, another friend of the show, to have a conversation with me about power, politics, and magic. This is the recording of that conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And do go to the Yoho Journal's website to put in Tent 10 and get a discount on a copy of the journal for yourself. I will put all of the details in the show notes. Well, welcome for coming to this Zoomposium, everyone. I'm always really thankful when Paul Milbank, the man who was just speaking, when Paul Milbank invites you to anything, I have learned to say yes to that invite. Paul has a gift of, even though he's working on the island of Jersey, which is a tiny little place in the grand scheme of things, when Paul gathers people together, it always is a good thing. And he has managed to create a community of people who are, uh, I guess we'd call them fellow travelers, people of peace. Not all like-minded. I didn't. I don't want to say like-minded because what he does is he gets people in a room who don't always. Uh, they're not all marching to the same drum, and yet he gets them in a room because he knows that they're going to spark off each other and and lead to some good things. So I'm really thankful that years ago, six years ago, when Paul Milbank invited me to the island of Jersey to go to one of his conferences, his meeting place seminars, he also invited Richard Beck. And Richard Beck, you'll hear from him later, but Richard is this social psychologist and a writer whose book I admired. That Richard is one of those people that you should meet your heroes because I was already a fan of Richard's book, The Slavery to Death. And it was a book all about the powers and principalities and how they work themselves out in our business and corporate and national lives. I got to meet Richard at this event in Jersey. And part of my contribution to the event was to give a little talk. And part of my talk was about kenosis in Philippians 2, which is the great hymn where Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited, but instead he put a limit on himself to make space for other selves. And the, the word kenosis is this where you empty yourself or put a limit on yourself to make space for other selves. And I gave this talk. And one of the, the ways that I talked about it was I said, it's, it's the opposite of magic. So the, the, the black magic impulse is where you dominate the room with your will. And what kenosis does is it, it, you, you put a limit on your will. So I gave this little talk 
and I saw Richard off in the corner nodding while I spoke. And I thought, I've just made my hero nod. This is great. And afterwards, Richard said, you should write a book about that. And that penny dropped. And, and that's what started that six years ago. And so I have always been thinking about this. And, what, and, and, uh, and then when the Yoho journals asked if I wanted to do anything, I said, yeah, I want to start to write about the black magic impulse when it comes to power. And uh, Alicia and Paul graciously let me do this. They gave me some reins. Uh, they, they let me have my lead. And I went and I did that. And it's the beginning of a project that I'm now working on. And I'm going to read to you, I think, before we continue on with this, I'm just going to read to you the introduction to the essay. And it's entitled Black Magic in White Houses. This is an essay about power, what it is, how to use it, and why when it goes wrong, it is so very bad. But when it goes right, it can be so very good. It is about human evil and goodness as worked out in our personal and social lives. It is about how the way people imagine power affects the groups they form, and how in turn the groups they form affects personal identity, happiness, and purpose. There are two main ways that humans imagine power. The good way we imagine power is that of gentle space making. Gentle space makers envision power as something best given away. They put limits on their own will in order to make room for other people's wills. The power of the gentle space does not hoard or exploit resources because it does not envision a world where these things are limited. There is always more than enough. It uses power to live at peace with reality. Gentle space-making power has deep and ancient roots and underwrites some of the best and the most robust human systems in history. It is rare, but when one finds it in action, it is the very definition of goodness. The bad way we imagine power is the most widespread. This is the vision of power which leads to powerful people dominating their wills over others, their egos flowing to fill the spaces they are in. It is the power that underwrites the enthusiastic support of bullies and strong men the world over. It is the power which fearful people gather in order to shout over and silence their opponents. Organizations built to contain this power prolong their existence through rigid hierarchies, hoarding, conspiracies of silence and violence. It is power which lives in fear of reality and presumes to break and shape it. We find this power in all levels of society, in all countries, political parties, and religious traditions. The visions of power running throughout bears more than a passing resemblance to the vision of power wielded by occultists and magic users. For this reason, I call it black magic power. It is by far the most popular approach to power, and it is destroying the world. As any occultist knows, black magic is not about worshiping the devil or conjuring demons. It is about the triumph of the will. Let us leave aside for the moment whether magic works. For now, imagine the practitioner of the dark arts who genuinely believes what they are doing. What are they doing? The dark artist is seeking to marshal the powers of the universe, be they natural, cosmic, social, or spiritual. 
and having gathered and focused these forces, dominate them with the clarity of his mind in order to bend reality to his desire. As the black magician Alistair Crowley, once dubbed the wickedest man in the world, famously summed up his occult philosophy, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Magical thinking has not disappeared from the modern political imagination. Politics is not called the dark arts for nothing. Wherever one finds groups and individuals intent on forcing their agenda through the system, silencing their opponents, or decimating their foes with lethal violence, one finds shades of black magic. In service of getting what they want, who amongst us is not averse to manipulating boardroom membership, stacking church, charity, or community organizations with the right people, participating in party putches, or enacting ideology purges? Who has not abrogated their responsibility, their voice, their resources, or their moral conscience to some promising leader striding across a flag-strewn stage, accepting worship and offering the world? Petitions, protests, and popular rallies reveal our deeply ingrained entitled belief that voices shouting loudly together in unison can and should shape reality. That if we pour our power into the one, they will fight for us against them, crafting a world for our people, not theirs. We adulate those who subsist on the force of their convictions alone. Anyone who dares admit that complex problems don't have simplistic answers. And heaven help the poor public figure who changes their mind, ruining their careers for appearing weak. There is something of the occult about all this veneration of the unbroken will. And it is killing us. The vision of power which entails domination of the will destroys everything it touches. It requires the elevation of the engorged self over the selves of lesser beings. It demands human sacrifice of the one who would ascend to power. The wants of the many becoming the votive offering to the will of the few. The trajectory of this power is always towards less and less people controlling more and more, expanding to fill the spaces into which they have been cast. The rape of ecosystems, the collapse of climate, the labeling of animals and humans as mere resources to be exploited. All this and more is yours if you dominate the world with the power of your will. It is this technique of sovereign power which gives rise to colonial empires, slave economics, national genocides, divine monarchs, tyrants and dictators on all points of the political spectrum. Simplistic wish fulfillment fantasies dominate our information landscapes. We have sold our souls to arcane algorithms, conjuring impregnable social media covens. It is this black magic impulse which explains Bolsonaro, underwrites Le Pen, and delivered Brexit and MAGA to wild, enthusiastic, ululating crowds. It is occult panic, expunging the impure from our ranks, which gives rise to conspiracy theories impervious to all outsider wisdom, culture warriors, and crusader vigilantes storming Capitol buildings. Black magic power has colonized our collective imaginations and is unraveling the fabric of the world. It kills, steals, and destroys life, enriching a morally bankrupt few and plunging into destruction everyone else. The power of the gentle spacemaker, 
binds up the brokenhearted and knits together the fragments of a tattered society. It puts individuals back into healthy groups and creates persons of infinite value where before there was none. Black magic has fucked the world. Only gentleness will save it. Over to you, Richard. What do you think? Well, first of all, um, the the admiration is mutual, Stephen. The the first time I heard you present this at host, yes, I was uh, stunned. And um, and your all your other work from Kierkegaard on has just uh, been a huge influence. So I, I am a I'm a fan of yours, sir. Um, and it's good to see so many of your faces. Some of you I don't know, um, but I have some dear friends. I'm looking at the screen here, so my I'm speaking with a full heart here. Um, uh, so yeah, so in my response, so this appeared in the journal, and, and we get to write these little responses. And the question I wanted to raise was, and I'll I'll, I'll uh, phrase it here, is what is the the political shape of the the gentle space? That, that's the question that I want to ask, because when, when Stephen describes as he goes on through the rest of the essay, and he spends a lot of time on the phenomenon of Trump in America, uh, and you have your own correlates um, where you are as well, um, and you hear the gentle space as the contrast to what we're seeing from the Black magicians, uh, then, then my, at least in America at least, you're going to think about progressive liberal democratic politics to replace that black magician with a white magician that if we that if we can get a use of power benevolently wielded by a good person then america be, can become a gentler space um, for racial minorities uh, for sexual minorities um, we become a gentler space for uh, refugees at our borders and so on and so forth. So, meant to, so we had an election, Biden was elected, so America has become gentler. And, and we see the, the climate conversations in Scotland right now. Then we see the political leaders discussing a way to make the, right, the world a gentler space for the environment as well. And so I guess that's my, my question. Is the gentle space just progressive politics? Is it just progressive social action? Is it progressive activism? Um, and, and the reason why I asked that question, because then it seems like you're pitting black versus white magic, where different groups are pitting their different visions of the good um, and then trying to use the politics of power to enact or impose their wills upon um, the world. And that might be, uh, and so that's my question back to Stephen here in a second, is like, you know, that might be that that when we hear gentle space, what I think of is protests in the street, progressive protests in the street, climate activists. Um, I think of people going to polls to get, um, to get Donald Trump out of office and the gentle space makers win that election. But when I heard Stephen you know, how was it six years ago or maybe seven years ago when you first talked about that? The vision that I had heard initially wasn't a political vision. It was it was almost it wasn't like bad politicians. It was like all politics. So I and I might have misunderstood Stephen at that time, but it sounded more like kind of an, an Anabaptist 
uh, vision where what the gentle space makers would do is they would step away from trying to grasp the ring of power, progressive or conservative, Tory or labor, okay, and instead create a gentle space to the side as a counter, like a space that would stand as a, as a, as a witness over against the black and white magicians. So that's my, that might be what the, the gentle space looks like. And I'll say two more things and I'll kick it back to Stephen. But the other ways I might think about the gentle space is like uh, James Davison Hunter's idea of faithful presence. So biblically, I'm thinking here of Joseph, uh, Daniel, um, and Esther, people who live within corrupt, broken black magic structures, who in, in their spaces create little oases of gentleness. And yet they are embedded in larger structures of perhaps that are, are being ruled by black magicians. So maybe, maybe we are gentle space makers in that we leaven systems that cannot be wholly purified. Maybe the will to purifying the political spaces is impossible. So instead we, we leaven those spaces wherever we find ourselves uh, in, a, in a hierarchy. I can't eradicate the hierarchy, but in my part of the hierarchy, I can be a kind, protective uh, person and leaven that hierarchy. And then the last one I would say is maybe the gentle space makers are what I'll kind of describe as like sacramental witnesses. The, the, the idea that keeps coming to my head here is like the gentle space is like a flash mob. So in America, I think of like Occupy Wall Street. So there was a season, if you all recall, in Occupy Wall Street, they came together almost like a flash mob and kind of bore witness to a different imagination. Notoriously with Occupy, it had no politics. It, it was just sacramental in pointing to um, another reality, another another way of doing business, but it didn't have, but it was a flash mob in the sense that when it left, it didn't leave behind a, a durable politics. It just kind of gave witness to another reality. And that's kind of sometimes where, what I think the gentle space makers get, given all the artists that are part of the host community, um, that what artists do is they get together and they bear witness to another imagination. There is no politics there. They are rather kind of sacramentally putting up a vision of a space that could be gentler and kinder, and at least for the season of the flash mob is a gentle space, but it's not going to persist because it doesn't have a politics in that sense, as much as it's, it's a sacramental by sacramental. I just mean making something visible that it's unseen, bringing it into view. Anyway. So I guess that's my question to, to Stephen is um, what, what is the gentle space? Is it white magic, right? Is it activists in the street who need to take the, who need to get Trump off the throne? Is it a countercultural witness like the Anabaptists think about? Is it faithful presence in these space, you know, or is it a sacramental flash mob um, where we bear witness? Maybe it's all, all the things. So what's the political character of the, the gentle space? That was my question. I think, I think the first thing I'd want to tell you is, is, is start with an anecdote or start with a story. If we're gonna talk about white magic. So during the, during the Trumpy time, do you remember the Trumpy time? So during Trump again, there was a, there was famously, there was um, some white witches that got together, right? And they said, what we're gonna do 
is, do you know about this, Richard? Did you, do you, have you heard about this group? Yeah, Hexing Trump. Yeah, right. So it says what we're going to do is we're all going to gather on, I can't remember the exact date. Let's call it the 10th of February or something. So we're all going to gather on the 10th of February and exactly midnight on the 10th of February, we will all focus our will against Trump and we will put a hex on Trump, right? And it was all about if we, if we all gather at the same time in the same place all around the world and we all think the same thoughts at the same time, this will then uh, uh, focus our attention on Trump and we will use the power of our combined white magic to bind, they said, we're going to bind Donald Trump, okay? So this was white magic. Then the charismatic evangelical Christians led by, in this case, well, one of the many people, there were many people doing this, but Dutch Sheets was one of them. Uh, Be uh, Benny Johnson from the Bethel Church was one of them. Uh, they said, oh, look at this. The white, the magicians are trying to curse Trump. Magic, they're using occult magic against Trump. So what we're going to do is on the 10th of February at midnight, we're all going to get together and we're all going to pray. And here's the prayer we're going to use. And they had disseminated this on their Facebook and Instagram, and they had a set prayer. And they're like, by the combined power of our prayers, all speaking in unison at the same time, at the same place, we will counteract this magical attempt on Trump. And I looked at that and I was like, everyone in this story is a black magician from beginning to end. Donald Trump is a bully who's using the power of his will to dominate other people. The white magicians are using the power of their will to shape reality. And the evangelical Christians are doing the exact same thing. I don't see it as black magic versus white magic. I'm more interested, and I don't see it as like Christians versus the occult. I'm way more interested in what do people think they're doing when they focus their will and agree on unison about something. All of them are just trying to turn X into Y because we say so. And that is the thing that I think is black magic. It's that shaping reality through the power of your will, the sort of purity of your belief. So I'm definitely not just saying, oh, wherever you find progressive voices, there you find gentle space. And I think anybody who's fallen afoul, anybody who works in some of these progressive environments, if you've fallen afoul and you've used the wrong pronouns or you've said the wrong thing at the, the wrong time, you will soon find that you're not in a gentle space, right? There's a whole lot of people who are, whose careers have been destroyed in progressive environments and they themselves are progressive, but they haven't quite got with the program. And what's happened is that, that they've come up against the mob, like the, the, the howling mob has shouted them down. So I'm definitely not looking at only one's political spectrum to define whether you are a black magician or not. I'm way more interested in this, this idea that we must purge the space so that it's only for people like us. We must purge spaces in order to have people who sound like us and look like us as much as possible. And those are being the only voices in the room. That's that, that kind of attitude of purging an environment and shaping it in your image. That is what I think is the kind of do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. This is what sums up any black magician. If you go and bother reading them, I'm talking about self-described black magicians here. This is what they say they are doing.
through the power of their focused concentration, they are shaping reality in their image and silencing other voices. And I just see that happening all over the place. And I see it amongst, you know, my progressive friends and I see it amongst my charismatic evangelical friends. And I see all these people thinking that they're all on the opposite end of the spectrum, on opposite ends of the spectrum, when in fact they're all just lumped in one nasty little corner. I would say very quickly, I don't, if by white magic, you mean we focus our power in order to change the universe for good and not for evil, then I, I'm against that. That I also think is a form of black magic. So what would it look like then? If, if gentle space makers aren't about purifying their spaces, I, I think you're right. I think there is something there about being a faithful witness or the faithful presence, like Davison Hunter writes about. And, I, and definitely I am in that Anabaptist end of things, for sure, where uh, the other word I would use, which I didn't, you two didn't use, Richard, was that gentle space makers are benign anarchists because they aren't, they aren't trying to build institutions that will outlast them forever and ever. People who try and build institutions that outlast them, that's when they become, they build things that just require human sacrifices. And I'm looking at a few of my friends here on this call who know what I'm talking about right? That when you join a large institution that is bigger than you, then you are sacrificing your life to that thing. And you know about this, Richard, you write about it so well in your book. And I, and I feel like it's no accident that in the book of Philippians, the power of Jesus is the one where he deliberately uses his power to give as many people as possible more power. It's a deliberate upending of traditional hierarchical power structures. It is actually a form of power that does not lend itself very well to building institutions that last forever. And, and it is actually a, a form of power which is constantly looking to give it itself away. And so that's where I, I feel like there's a kind of a benign anarchy at the heart of some of this, where the, peop, the, the gentle space makers aren't actually trying to build something which other people have to conform to in order to be a part of. They're, they're building something which they will happily dismantle the second that it's no longer fit for purpose, mm -hmm. right? Is that, I mean, does that connect with that same host season? You use the phrase that when we look at the, the, the political powers, you know, we practice benign indifference. Right. Is that, is that still yeah, a right? virtue so, of the so, space makers? Be because can you, so my question, and this might have a sharp mm -hmm. end on it, can you practice benign indifference towards Donald Trump? Yeah. Or Brexit. Yes. Be right. If, if people are fucking things up, then are you benignly indifferent? So the people who are so benign indifference is an attitude of I refuse to let let's take Donald Trump as an ex as our actual example. I refuse to let Donald Trump shape my reality. I refuse to let uh, now my temptation speaking as me, Stephen Backhouse is that I let Donald Trump and the Trumpists shape my reality. This is my, the temptation is that they are so utterly abhorrent to me that, that and it just keeps me awake at night, that, that my whole life is sort of built around dismantling and opposing them. And I need to foster in my life a form of benign indifference because to not be obsessed with destroying Donald Trump and the Trump, Trumpists, is itself a victory over them, right? Because if they are living a life in which they say we are shaping reality to our will, 
and we're using our power to dominate everything and to clear the spaces of anybody that disagrees with us. If that's what they're doing, then I'm just playing into their hands when I allow them to shape my reality, right? So surely what I have to do is I have to cultivate a sense of, I'm not going to set my life against them. I'm going to have a, a, a form of indifference, which is just maybe more of an open-handedness of, of I've got better things to worry about. I'm going to get on with it. This would be the faithful witness aspect of the Anabaptists, which is they're saying like, we oppose violence and evil by just not being violent and evil. And that is our response to it. You guys oppose violence and evil by instituting yet another form of violence and evil. This is what I noticed with the black magicians and the white magicians is that they're just using the same weapons to fight each other. And I, I'm interested in, in an alternative politics, which would be the kind of Stanley Harawas and the Anabaptist end of things, where they say, actually, our engagement with the world is to cultivate a disengagement. That is how we do it. It's not fleeing to the hills. It's we're right in the heart of it. And this is where you talked about being Levin in, in the group. I quite like that. I quite like finding people who have inherited positions in hierarchical structures, and then they themselves seem quite intent on destroying those structures from within or, or, or just not letting those structures occupy their imagination too much. They hold it really lightly. And to me, that's something quite fun when I see that happen, that there is a kind of a, a cheeky, benign anarchy in the heart of some of these institutions when you find somebody who's giving their power away and not clutching tightly to it. Yeah, because I mean, like I find myself embedded in a hierarchical structure and in a fallen, as we would describe, you know, we don't need to go into a big theology of principalities and powers, but, you know, I find myself embedded in an existing fallen power, uh, an American university. So how do you do it then? How, tell me, Richard, how do you negotiate that space? Yeah. Well, for me, I kind of see my practice as doing all the things. So here, here's where I think a lot of these conversations struggle. And, and where people begin parting ways. Because, for example, okay, so when, when America was, you know, over in Iraq and Afghanistan during the Bush years, there was a lot of interest, interest in Christian communities to the Anabaptist thinkers. Right. Because they were really attracted to the peace witness of the Anabaptist church. And so when America was at war, a lot of people like your Shane Claiborne's and other activists were like, hey, listen, we're going to grab onto this Anabaptist peace witness because that helps us criticize Bush. And then Obama became president. Everybody chilled. It was like, OK, government's OK now because the white magician's now there. Right. Like like our guy, our guy's there because he's a, he's a good person wielding the power of the state. Forget about drone wars. Right. That's OK, because he's 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 a white magician. And so yeah. that's OK. Then a lot of these people that were attracted to Anabaptist thinking in, you know, during the Bush years, then 2016 happens in America and a black, a real hardcore black magician takes over. And then at that point, I think people perhaps took, they wavered or they went in a different direction. Suddenly the benign indifference to a Trump and in, in what you're calling us to, to kind of virtues of benign anarchy or, you know, benign indifference became too costly it seemed because the the threat was dire it was urgent the world was getting effed up and so therefore everybody kind of like put their white magician hats on and go like you know what we kind of do need to be in charge yeah and and for four years there was a bit of a moral and political panic about the situation and now he's out and we can relax a little bit. But Richard, it's getting worse. You do realize this, right? No, no, I, I'm just I'm just describing what has happened in the psychology here. And so, my, oh, of course. Yeah, so, of course. So yeah. to come back to the point, I, I do think 
and I'm curious about what everybody thinks on the screen. I do think there is this thing that the Anabaptist tradition puts in front of us. And it's this question. And I think people have different answers to it. And it's this, are Christians responsible for the course of history? I think on that question hinges two very different political visions. The Anabaptists would say no, because to take control of history, to bring the kingdom on earth in history means you got to become a white magician, right? You got to you got to vote him out of office. You got to take control. Then there's this other vision, this more sacramental, faithful presence, countercultural witness that kind of says our job is not to control history. History is a shit show. Our job is to embody and, and be sacramental lights to a, a different eschatological imagination. And I really do think when you talk about gentle space making, people can hear one or the other. And I, that's why I was at, that's why I wrote my letter to the to the journals, like to figure out where Stephen was on that on that fork in the road. And I and I don't I know not everybody's going to agree on that, but that that was to me the issue in front of us. Well, I'm reminded of Alan Crider. I don't know if you read Crider, who wrote he's an Anabaptist theologian and political activist, and he writes about the patient ferment of the church, of the early church, and 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 how it didn't. You know, where at its best, it wasn't actually trying to grab the reins of power. It wasn't trying to change history. They didn't think they were culture changers or history makers or any of that nonsense. I mean, basically, think how the think how much changed just because a bunch of Christians were just trying to do communion as best they could. They weren't trying to run the Roman Empire. They were just trying to obey Jesus and do communion really well by having lots of different types of people together in one room at the same time, you know, to, to have, to remember the broken body and blood of Christ, like, and have fellowship one with one with another. Like this was their, this was what they were trying to do. And they were, they had a view of the world where they were not obsessed with, with it. And, and I, we probably don't have time to go into it, but I find this benign indifference throughout the new Testament actually, where they just, they recognize it's an issue, but then they kind of like, well, we'll submit to it for a time or, oh, it's only, it's only Caesar, big deal. And they just kind of constantly are putting these things back in their place, which everyone else is obsessed with. And it's only when the church starts to become obsessed with government that it's, that that's when all the problems start to happen. When Christians start to think it's their mantle to run history and to, to rule empires and things, that's when all these problems start. And then we get 2000 years later, we get what you just described, which is basically we're just all addicted to the idea of the big man on campus that's going to save all our problems. Right. And, and, and so then we're just constantly looking for the next, and it's always a man or, you know what I mean? And, but it's always like this figure here, this messianic savior hero figure who looks way more like Braveheart than it looks like Jesus. And we're always looking for the next folk hero who's going to come and kill our enemies and purge the land and protect us in our greatest hour of need and it always 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 backfires and it always leads to bodies piled up and i don't care if it's obama or trump or margaret thatcher whoever it is it always leads to bodies being piled up somewhere whatever you know in the name of goodness or whatever whatever cause that you're fighting at that at that time and and that is where i wish and I'm still going to keep flying that flag for the patient ferment that the people who are like just trying to obey Jesus as best possible. And that is how we engage with the world. And that is political, though. See, this is where, Richard, I was going to kind of push back a bit at you where you're saying like that 
you're talking about politics as if it's only about building institutions or only about choosing to vote for the blue team so the red team doesn't win or something like that. Whereas I feel like we can be political. It's a political statement to look at party politics and say, I'm not going to vote, but I am going to work to forge bonds in my community. Like that is political, right? No, so sometimes, no I agree with that. Yeah, so sometimes opting out of a system is itself the, the political response to that system. And I, and I feel like that is where followers of Jesus probably will end up a lot more if they start to really take seriously some of this stuff that we're talking about here with gentle space making, for example. No, and I think that's another fork in the road, which is why I put out there gentle space as a flash mob versus gentle space as a community that embodies a different politics. I want to be clear, the, the, the gentle space as a flash mob is like, I think, a real thing, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, in many, and it's ephemeral. It, it it serves a purpose, but then it disappears. Yeah, and, but I, but I think will, it's important sacramentally. Yeah. I think it's important for it to yes, happen. Yes, yes, and, I agree. And, yeah, and I because agree. sometimes, and here's why: because one of the things I feel like, if if you don't have a sense that gentle space is a flash mob, is that you, you get together. Like so, in one in one sense, host is kind of like a gentle space flash mob. We like some beautiful people come together. We, 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 it's like a pop-up tent. We have, we have this thing. It's an amazing thing. It embodies a different kind of politics for a season, but it doesn't necessarily take out a politics. And sometimes you can get frustrated with that. Like, did we change anything? You know, did the, did the lever, did the needle move at all? Maybe not, but, but because we weren't creating a politics, we were bearing witness to a politics, sacramentally, bearing witness to an alternative politics yes. for a season, for a space, a flash mob. Like and, and that's why I pointed to Occupy, because Occupy was a really long flash mob. And so I do think in some senses, protesters can be sacramental protesters, not white magician protesters. If they have different, if they have different imaginations, I'm here bearing witness to an, another reality, a better reality. I'm not here to be against anybody. I'm not here to create a line between the good and the evil. I'm here to bear witness to another you're like the eschaton incarnated in the middle of that space. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, the kind of Christians that sneer at that, what you just said, are the kind of Christians whose imagination has been colonized by activism because they're the ones who say, oh, witnessing, that doesn't do anything. And they've departed significantly from the earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the New Testament, who refer to themselves as witnesses. That is the word they refer to themselves. Mm -hmm. That is the action that they take. They're not activists, they're witnesses. And, mm -hmm. and they think that by being witnesses, they are actually part of the inauguration of the new age. But to come back to the other point, so that's, if that's the flash mob, but the other thing about the counter polis, to me, that's the hard one because that's easy to say, but very hard to do. It's very hard to find those communities that kind of are embodying a politics um, and living into it there are people that do it but it but some, those communities are hard to maintain because the the costs are so high yes and also some of those community those communities do tip into activism and they just become white magicians yeah. themselves exactly this is what you see all the time yeah so you know so it's the classic phrase in activist communities everybody wants a, re a revolution but nobody wants to do the dishes right so the yeah. The doing the dishes is the canonic move. It's like, I'm not here to, I'm here to do the dishes. I'm here to serve. I'm here to be a part of that. 
that that's hard work. Um, and so that's the I think that's the road less traveled. But I agree with you. That road is a political road. I mean, you might almost say broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. Right. Hey, it's easy for people to vote if you're affluent. I mean, that's an easy way to kind of just say that's my that's what I do, man. Like I I'm a beautiful human being and I vote well. Yeah. And that's, yeah. You know, I mean, and that's to me where a lot of my kind of progressive Christian friends are that kind of like, hey, you know, I hey, I, I showed up and I voted. I voted against them. Job yeah. done. That minimalist approach to gentle space making is what I find problematic. Well, the whole uh, we should probably say clearly here for the sake of the recording and for anybody listening that the phrase gentle space maker, this is what I've got from the uh, theologian and priest Sarah Coakley. And Sarah Coakley is writing about kenosis. She's writing about Philippians 2. And this is where she describes. So instead of saying Jesus became nothing, she says Jesus it's actually more like Jesus puts a limit on his will to make space for other wills. And she calls it gentle space making. And this is where I've got this idea from. And it's, it's the vision in Philippians of how to hold your power. It's precisely about how to organize yourselves. Paul is he's t- writing to a church that is ripping itself apart through different people who are competing for power. And he says, I want you to have this mind amongst yourselves. Hold your power this way. And I feel like to then talk about gentle space making um, is not a utopian gloss on top of reality. <laughs> it's not a departure from realism. It is the way the early church formed themselves. And by the way, they succeeded because we're still reading their letter. Like we're here today because the Philippians practiced kenosis. And I feel like that is worth paying attention to. Like those kinds of crazy, odd, anarchic societies did actually change the world, even though they didn't set out to change the world. And I feel like there's something worth paying attention to there. It's like, if you really want to change the world, how did the early Christians do it? They did it by not trying to change the world. (laughs) To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about Tenth Theology at www.tenththeology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.